You will do the introduction, sir. Go for it. Me? Oh dear. How do we usually start this thing? We Greetings welcome. one and all and welcome. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sit back, it's time to get groovy. Question, do you remember that movie? Welcome to the podcast, folks. <laughs> welcome back to Remember That Movie. I am the third out of Hunter Rosa on IMDb. And I'm Steve Johnston. Not on IMDb. Not yet. yet. And what we do is we go back and watch movies that either we have history with or maybe we've never seen and we finally got around to seeing them. And that's what we're doing today. So, Steve, tell us about this episode's film. Well, for this episode, we are going one year forward from where we were last episode. And we are visiting 1994's action drama Leon, The Professional. Now, unlike the previous couple movies that I chose, um, I don't have an awful lot of history with this movie. Did not see it when it came out, but in the video stores, it was a cover that always caught my eye. And it was the one that had um, the character of Leon looking out of the box with the professional across the top, and the O was a crosshairs. It was just very striking, and it wasn't until years later that I actually uh, watched the movie, I believe it was on cable, and really, really liked it. And so when we started putting these episodes together, I thought, this is a movie I want to watch again. Um, nothing much beyond that. Now, when I mentioned this title last time, you kind of thought for a moment and you couldn't remember if you had seen it or if you had just seen enough clips of it over the years that you knew the movie. Did you ever figure out which was actually the case? I have never seen this film in my life. Excellent. Part of me was hoping that you'd say that because I am looking forward to picking your brain about what you thought of it um, in general when we get to that part a little later on. So, um, a little background as to how this movie came about, if I may. Uh, this was written, directed, and produced by French director Luc Besson. Now, are you familiar with Luc Besson? I would like to inform our wonderful audience that I have zero clue who this person is. Ah, then you were like me up until about five days ago when I discovered that, uh, oh, I know Luc Besson, you know Luc Besson, you have seen, I would wager, at least two of his other movies. Uh, he is a rather prolific French director, writer, and producer. Um, he is responsible for a, a good number of fairly famous films uh, and franchises. Uh, for example, um, are you familiar with uh, Liam Neeson's particular set of skills? Okay, this is going to be embarrassing. Yes, I am, but I haven't seen any of them. Okay, no, you, there, I do not be embarrassed. I am in the same boat. Uh, that I was written. We know what we need to watch at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Luc Besson was a writer on all of the Taken movies. Uh, are you familiar with Jason Statham and his uh, impeccably pressed suits and beautiful Audi cars as he transports things from one place to the other? Of course, yes. Of course. Written, yes. written by Luc Besson that, in that series. 
Really? Uh, are you? Do you remember Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets? Don't feel bad. No one does. It did not do particularly well in the States. No, I know that, but it sounds really familiar. Like, maybe I did watch it. I doubt you watched it. It was probably one of those that you heard of and kind of saw bits and pieces of. I'm, I'm going to have to look it up. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie in the, on the podcast slash video <laughs> cast. I don't know. Valerian okay. and the... Uh, what? C- City of a Thousand Planets. Like I said, City of a Thousand Planets. I'm not sure. <laughs> See, I, I think you would remember it if you had actually uh, some experience with it. Why do you say that? Um, just because it was supposed to be uh, rather spectacular visually. Um, Cara Delevingne was in it based on a comic book of uh, the same name, but I think it was a, a French comic. Um, did well in Europe, I believe, but in the States it was an absolute flop, if I'm recalling correctly. I'm going to mute myself just to laugh. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. Um, if you remember the film Lucy, which I believe was about... Um, oh, shoot. I I have forgotten the actress, but it's the one where she unlocks, I think, 100% of her mental power and Morgan Freeman um, is in it. <laughs> uh, but uh, the the big one that I know you have seen and that I know you remember... The okay. Fifth Element. Oh, of course, The Fifth Element. Wrote, produced, directed. Multipass, multipass. Lilo Dallas, multipass. Prior to Leon, uh, Luke had a, uh, a major hit in Europe and France with a film called Le Grand Bleu, which is a, uh, a drama about a couple of competitive freedivers, actually starred Jean Reno, um, and it was... I want to say like one of the highest grossing films in France in the 1980s. It won multiple awards. It was actually in French theaters for a full year. So at any point during the year, you could turn to your friend and say, Emerie te vois le grand bleu, and there would be a theater showing it somewhere. Now, I would like to point out just for a moment that I spoke French at the beginning of the last episode, and Stephen is showing off how much better he speaks French in this episode. I, 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 re- I practiced that many, many times. And I have my wife to thank for the translation, by the way. So I would uh, like to point out that my wife has actually studied some French because she sang opera in French oh. and was very upset at me that I did not counsel her or request her counsel for the pronunciation of the last episode. And that I one's on you. For her, my uh, interpretation of French. And she said, I was right there. Why didn't you just <laughs> ask me? With this massive hit under his belt, he goes to the studio and says, Hey, I've got an idea for my next film. And the studios say to him, Make it. We don't even need to see a script. Yo, you go direct. And so he puts out a. Um, little action thriller in which a teenage girl is recruited and trained to be a hitman. And this movie is La Femme Nikita. La Femme Nikita does very well in France, and it actually does fairly well stateside as well, which is important because now Besson returns to the studio uh, to work on his next film, which is a big-budget sci-fi epic, The Fifth Element. 
But Besson runs into a problem because the studios say, well, you are Luc Besson. So yeah, you, you've had a couple of great hits back to back. This should be good. Wait, you want how much? Um, they were not willing to put up his projected budget. And so production on Fifth Element stalled. And Besson decided to write a smaller little project. And he thought to himself, okay, if we take Jean Reno's character from La Femme Nikita, let's take a look at not that particular character, but what makes him him, you know, stoic hitman. Let's, uh, let's put him in New York and give him back just a little bit of his humanity. And from that concept, Leon is born. Basically, he, he filled in the characters around Leon and then wrote a script based upon that which I believe will bring us to our rapid synopsis. I have decided that we should tentatively title this section Plot in 60 Seconds. I'm going to put it on the timer on the visual. If you are listening to this as a podcast, just imagine there's a timer. 60 seconds, Stephen. Leon, the professional. Go. Corrupt DEA agent Norman Stansfield murders the family of a holder that is working for him. However, he misses one person. Twelve-year-old Matilda is out getting groceries at the time of the massacre, and when she arrives home, she has the good sense to walk past her apartment and seek refuge with their neighbor, a stoic hitman by the name of Leon. Leon gives her refuge, and Matilda asks him to teach her how to be a hitman so that she can get revenge on Stansfield for the murder of her brother. She's not that fussed about the rest of her family. Leon grudgingly agrees, shows her some of the ropes, and then Matilda, with her new knowledge, goes out to attempt to exact her revenge, which does not go well. Leon has to rescue her, and that puts Stansfield on their scent, which leads to him confronting the two of them in a giant battle at the end. And... That's about it. Okay, so we've hit the synopsis. You guys have the uh, general idea. Who is in this movie, Stephen? There are three main characters uh, that we are going to meet in fairly rapid order. Uh, first, let's talk about the titular Leon, who is played by Jean Reno, a French actor of some ilk. I know that you are familiar with some of his other work. Um, interestingly enough, this is actually his fifth movie with Luc Besson having had uh, roles in two early works, Le Grand Bleu, La Femme Nikita, and now Leon. Um, re refresh my memory. Where did you remember him from? The French Kiss. That's right. He plays That's the right. investigator who is trying to help Luc Toussier, played by Kevin Klein, which is hilarious when you really think about it because it's Meg Ryan, Kevin Klein, and an actual French actor. Who's, who's like a side character. <laughs> Whereas Kevin Klein is pretending to be French. Uh, second character of note is Norman Stansfield, the corrupt DEA agent and marvelously over-the-top villain portrayed by Gary Oldman. And lastly, um, well, I, I say lastly, it's just lastly of the, the three main characters. We have Matilda, 12-year-old Matilda, who is played by Natalie Portman in her screen debut. She auditioned for the part along with like 2,000 other young girls. Um, also auditioning was Liv Tyler, 
who was determined to be too old for the role because I think she was like 16 at the time. And the another contender was Christina Ricci. And this actually started a little bit of a friendly rivalry between Ricci and Portman because they would end up going for the same roles a lot over the next several years. Uh, Portman had ended up having two auditions. I've never thought of them as contemporaries, but I, I know neither had I. I guess they are, but they're, they're roughly, roughly the Maybe same, the same age. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Portman actually had two auditions. After the first audition, the casting director decided that she was too young, uh, namely because she was, I think, eleven years old at the time of audition. But she managed to get a second audition in front of Luc Besson himself. Uh, performed the monologue in which Matilda laments the death of her brother and uh, Besson was sold and was like, yep, no, you are it. We need to get you. You are Matilda. The very first um, scene where she's crying, which is trying to get into Leon's apartment, uh, she could not cry on cue. So they used an old trick of putting peppermint oil in her eyes, which gets the tears flowing. And for every subsequent scene where she had to cry, she just remembered what it felt like that first time, and boom, tears on cue. Do you know what's really cool? I'm going to say something random. Okay, so um, I was on a set once because I've done like two seconds worth of television. and It was more than two seconds. It was a little bit. To make an actress cry, the makeup artist had these these little tubes that had they could put vaseline on and what they would do is they would literally blow into your eye just air no it's just okay. it just went i don't want to do it in front of the mic but it was like and it would blow the air through the vaseline and hit your eye and you would instantly cry interesting and they did that for the actress who was playing i was playing a um fiance who had been murdered by a ex-boyfriend this was <laughs> It doesn't matter. Anyway, the point is they needed her to cry and they just went and she instantly, her eyes watered instantly and tears streamed down. And I remember that. That was many, many years ago. But yeah, that's one of the, they do, they have a lot of tricks to make you cry. Some actors can do it on cue, right? But if you've been working for 12 hours and you're tired, maybe you can't make the tears flow. What do you know about the making of this film? Because I'm very curious about that. So we know that we have a 11-year-old slash 12-year-old Natalie Portman. Yep. Portman. I can't speak. What else do we know about the making of this film? So the, the movie is largely character-driven, or at least it was character-driven when Besson wrote it. Again, he started with the idea of Leon being a very good, very professional hitman, stoic. And he asked himself, all right, what? sort of characters, what sort of interactions are going to get a emotional response from a man like that? Answering those questions, he came up with the character of Matilda, who is, if you think about it, Leon's opposite. He is an older man. She is a younger female. He is tall. She is short. He is more worldly than her. He figured that that sort of character was the way to get some sort of reaction out of Leon and have him become a bit more human over the course of the movie. Because Leon is so stoic and businesslike, uh, the villain, Norman Stansfield, played by Gary Oldman, as we mentioned, uh, was given a bit more free reign to do whatever he would like. 
a lot of Stansfield's best moments were ad-libbed or improv by Oldman. One of the very first things we see him do when his henchman says, oh, you know, um, he can smell if you're lying. And then Oldman turns around and walks up to uh, uh, Matilda's father, actually leans in and snarts, you know, starts sniffing him up the neck, around the face. Oldman improvised that part. And uh, Michael Badalucco, who plays the father, you'll notice that he's kind of a little creeped out. He was genuinely creeped out because he had no idea Gary Oldman was going to do that. Uh, looking forward um, to the bathroom scene in which uh, Oldman and Portman confront each other. Natalie Portman's not doing a lot of acting in that scene because Gary Oldman was terrifying <laughs> to her in what he was doing in that scene. Uh, and then probably the one of the most famous lines, you know, get me everybody. Wait, who do you want? Everybody! Was again ad-libbed by Oldman. It was actually supposed to be kind of a joke take filmed after they'd done the real one, but that's the one that Bisson kept in. All right. Let's talk about Leon. Yes. Because I'm kind of weirdly fascinated by this character. Now, again, I did no research on this character, so all I have to go with is what I watched. And what I watch is this really odd character. We we talked about his stoicism, but there is also kind of like he's his world is very small. His lens is very small. He is hired by what is clearly the Italian mob yep. to do hits as needed. Uh his life is very tiny. He you know, lives in a rented room and he waters his plant on a daily basis. He's obsessed with drinking milk. He dresses like someone from from Italy from another time period. Yep. He carries a briefcase, which of course has his weapons in it. Um, but there's nothing else going on with him. We don't learn much about Leon. And I don't want to say that he's simple, but he's simplistic. And he's very specific. The weirdest thing I have to say, which I really enjoyed, was that every night he would get dressed in black and he would sit in a chair with his very specific circular shades on. And he would sit in a chair, turn off the light, have a gun next to him. And that's where he would sleep. He would never sleep on his bed. That was weird. But it was also like, I guess that's what you do when you're a hitman, a cleaner, as they say in the film. And so that was a very interesting character because he's living his life just himself, alone. We don't know much about him when Matilda walks into his life, except the fact that he's just a random neighbor who they have no knowledge of. No. And when all this stuff goes down with her family, and let's just take for a moment, it is a brutal death sequence yes because essentially our our villain and his henchmen which look like right out of central casting <laughs> they come in and they just start shooting up the place and they kill everyone they kill her father not her mother but oh no no uh, the mother is the first one to uh to go gary oldman bursts through the door and yes, shoots her remember in the bathtub. she says that wasn't my mother Oh, oh, her actual mother. Okay. Her actual mother. They never said okay. so. So her father is with someone who gets shot while she's taking a bubble bath. Then they kill her sister. 
and then they kill her four-year-old brother. And one thing that is very big in the film is that she doesn't care about the rest of them. She really only cares about the four-year-old. And I have to say, for Natalie Portman playing this 12-year-old who is mourning the loss of a four-year-old, there is this beautifully, beautifully written moment in the film where she says, like, what did he ever do? He was four. And that is the only person she's, you know, mourning. She doesn't care that they killed everybody else. She kind of didn't like them anyway. But her brother was, like, innocent. Yeah. And, and it's a very, I mean, it's a very cruel death scene. Everybody gets just horribly murdered. Um, my favorite moment in the film, if I can jump forward okay. a little bit, is right after everyone gets murdered. So we have all the villains. They're looking for the drugs that are missing, et cetera, in the apartment. They have a henchman standing in front of the apartment door. The door is wide open, by the way. And there is a dead body near the front door. Yeah. And the character of Matilda has gone shopping. And she comes back. And she's a smart kid. And she sees that something is up. And instead of going to her apartment, which is what she's supposed to do, she sees what's going on. And she keeps walking and goes to Leon's apartment and then rings the doorbell. And he's watching all of this, by the way, because he's a cleaner. He knows what's going on. He's paying attention. And he sees her through his door and she rings the doorbell. And with tears just streaming in her eyes, she quietly says, please let me in. Please let me in. And she keeps ringing the doorbell. And like the henchman is kind of getting a little suspicious. And she just keeps ringing. Please. Please let me in. And I honestly thought of every scene in that movie, that was the most powerful, most magical moment in the movie. I just shook my camera. Sorry. Uh, that was the most amazing moment to me. Uh, it, it shows both of them. As he, and it, of course they cut to him, who is definitely considering... Because again, he's a loner. His job is to be a loner. And just that moment of him trying to decide, do I help her? Do I not help her? What do I do? And her just being so smart and being like, dude, help me for the love of everything. Just open the damn door. And let me in so I don't get murdered like everyone else in my family. That was amazing. That was so wildly brilliant to me. One of my favorite shots ends that scene when Leon decides, I will help her, opens the door, and the light of salvation washes over Natalie Portman's face as the door opens. I loved that. Gives me chills just thinking about that one. It's great. It's great. And uh, yeah, and their kind of relationship is odd because it's a grown man who clearly has a past, but who is also like alone. And now suddenly he has a 12-year-old child yep. that he is taking care of and teaching. And she's gone through her own trauma. And she's like, I want to be a cleaner, which is not what you expect a 12-year-old to say. No. And he's like, what? And she's like, I, essentially, I want to do what you do. Can I do what you do? Can you teach me? That was unexpected. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Um, 
And so begins sort of their relationship, which takes a chunk of the film, their relationship, while she in some way is thinking about her revenge. There are comedic moments in this film that are odd. Very. Just like there's a scene where he starts training her and they start training every day. And he doesn't know how to train her except how he was trained, clearly. So he makes her follow this regimen of like, this is what we do. We work on it every day. We do not break. We just keep working. And at some point she says, you know, we need to do something fun. And he's like, okay. (laughs) And then they have a kind of impressions game where one of them pretends to be a famous person and the other one has to say who it is. That entire thing was odd. Very. Very. Mostly because it's a 12-year-old dressed as Madonna. Yep. Wearing a bra and what appears in an underwear. Uh, She was wearing that over her own clothes, by the way, so it's not that creepy. But it's still creepy enough. (laughs) And Leon, of course, is like, I don't know. I have no idea. No. And then she gets dressed as Marilyn Monroe. Whom Natalie Portman was not aware of. She had no idea who she was impersonating at that point. Which is fair. But it doesn't take away one thing, Steve. <laughs> it was still creepy. Very. And thankfully, Leon is like, I don't know who that is. I don't know. And then she dresses as Charlie Chaplin, which was funny. He also has no idea. Um, and then he does a game where, you know, he dresses up as John Wayne. Uh, you, you, you're leaving out uh, her last impression where she uh, goes around doing singing in the rain. And right. he goes, oh, 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 Gene, oh Kelly. Gene Kelly. And he actually gets one. Right. Because the, the one thing that we do see Leon doing besides his regimen and um, his assassinations is going to the movies and watching old musicals. And that seems to be the one thing that brings him joy, because as he's watching, he gets this childlike grin on his face. Leon is a brilliant character that I don't understand. And I think that that was the good for me. That was the good of the character, right? It was that that he was made interesting enough that I was really into it, and I never got enough. It always left me wanting more to understand him. Bingo. Yes. Um, Natalie Portman for a 12-year-old, 11-year-old, did a great job. Amazing job. You understand why this film was such a big deal and why she was a, such a big deal in the film. I found the end satisfying. Excellent. Like, this is a good film. This is a well-put-together film. It's odd, and I have weird problems with the middle, but as far as the overall arc of the story and film, I got it. I followed it. I accepted it. I respected it. I thought it was good. And I kind of understood why people were like, this is a great film. This is a big deal. I was like, yeah. It makes me slightly uncomfortable, but it's really good. Oh, so uncomfortable. <laughs> so those are my good and bad. What about you? What are your good and bads? I, I'm with you on the acting. It is superbly acted. I loved the cinematography. The death sequence at the end with Leon's death followed not 10 seconds later by Stansfield's death. <laughs> um, that, that sequence is beautifully shot. Uh, the, the music that accompanies it by uh, Eric Serra is perfect and you know, just gave me all the feels, if you will, if I'm allowed to say all the feels. Um, 
So yeah, a beautiful movie. Too late. We said it. Okay. And I agree with you. It It's one where you're wondering, where is this going? How How is this going to resolve itself? The I, I have a hang up with movies where it ends up being like one or two people versus the establishment, if you will. Um, what was well, one of the Avengers movies in which I think it's like Captain America and Black Widow, and it's the two of them versus what you assume to be the US government. That sort of scenario always bugs me because I am not smart enough or inventive enough to come up with a way out. How do you how do you get out of that type of situation? And the ending confrontation where you have the entire police force, as Stansfield says, everyone is rushing this building. And I was trying to figure out how does Leon get out of this situation? What is his exit strategy? And we're not going to say what it is. Nope. But I'm going to say it works. Me. Oh, it works. It, it works works so well. It's it, I saw it and it's like that a that makes total sense. B yes. that could totally work. Totally work. I get it. I thought I knew where the end was going with mm-hmm. him and I was wrong and I was proven wrong in such a brilliantly creative way that I was I was just kind of giggling to myself as I was watching and going, there it is. That's brilliant. And that is why he is the professional. Yes. Right? Because he knows. He's thinking five steps ahead. He's the chess master. He knew what he needed to do to get out of the situation. And at the same time, the way he did it, even he recognized, like, whoa, I am in big trouble. You can see it. He's like, whoa, this is deep. Like, there's barely any chance of me getting out of this alive. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved it. What a great... What a great uh, plot uh, point. Did you have anything that was categorically bad that you did not like? No, no, actually, no. I I have things that made me uncomfortable, but nothing that I thought was bad per se. No, okay, all right. I'm going to throw it down. I'm going to throw it down. Here's my thing that I think might be controversial. I personally, my personal opinion, folks, and you can differ on this, I thought Gary Oldman was a bit much. I thought it was too far. And listen, I have watched Gary Oldman in many films, <clears throat> excuse me, do many different, like, over-the-top roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, True Romance is a perfect example for anybody who's watched True Romance, where he has dreads and he's speaking with a Jamaican accent. That's pretty far. Yeah. But I felt like you know, if 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 the role required a 10, he went way up to 17, and it was almost, like, cartoonishly evil at times. There was a critic who called his performance divinely psychotic, and I thought that was spot on. Now, I, I think this is a first for the podcast in that I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I thought That's that it. Oldman's performance... <laughs> Oldman's performance and his interpretation of the character was amazing because, uh, again, it, it was designed to contrast with that of Leon. So we have the the cold, calculating intellectual and the insane, over-the-top Gary Oldman. Agreed. I think the problem is that I thought it was just too much. 
and this is my personal opinion, and I could be mm -hmm. wrong, folks. You know what? If you're listening to this on the podcast, well, then go to YouTube, find our channel, and, and write in the comments how wrong I am, okay? Did Gary Oldman go too far, okay? This is, this is going to be the question. I'll, I'll post this as the pinned question on YouTube. Okay. Did Gary Oldman go too far, or is it just right? So let me ask you this. Okay. Are we getting into let's the prickly get, now? Let's get to the prickly. All right. <clears throat> Go ahead and ask. We're almost out of time. What is prickly about this film? Here is the thing. I am somewhat conflicted because for a number of a, a good number of people, the prickly thing about this is Matilda, her age, and her infatuation with Leon to the point that she professes that she loves him. It is a very odd moment in the film. And at the same time, as someone who is a father and also was once 12, yeah. um, I recognize that we have feelings at different times in our lives, especially in these developmental years, that we think are one thing or another. And it makes us say things that we think are true that may not be true. And that is where, for me personally, this is not as prickly as I think some people make it out to be. Because, yeah, taken at face value, that's kind of creepy. But if you stop and think about the character of Matilda in that she comes from an abusive household, um, she has no real role models in terms of what a real relationship is supposed to look like. She falls into the company of the only person in the film we see treat her with any kindness, and she is going through some serious post-traumatic stress. I think it kind of fits that her character would go, oh, I think I'm falling in love with this man, even though, yeah, he's three times my age. I kind of think that it her putting her feeling that way makes sense if you look at kind of how her character is constructed the other reason that this is not as prickly for me as it might be for some other people is the the resolution is just leon shutting it down and saying no absolutely not you are too young to be having these types of thoughts and i will not explain why but i am not interested so and, and i will jump in on that I will jump yeah. in on that because I, I want to jump in to agree with you. I think this is actually one of the things that the film does really well. Um, Matilda is having these feelings that she doesn't understand, right? Yes. And again, yeah. I think from our perspectives as both parents of children, yeah. we can see that. You and I see a child trying to process feelings that they don't understand and that they think they can identify Thankfully, and this is where I give the film credit, thankfully, they do not make Leon any gray area of this. He shuts it down. He has true emotions for the child, but it is clear, at least in my interpretation of it, it is very clear this is not a Lolita situation. No. He cares about the child. He, she has endeared herself to him, a person who endears himself to know, like he doesn't have anyone 
but he has allowed himself to care about her, to be protective of her, to worry about her, but not in a romantic sort of way. It is whether whatever she is feeling, his is more of a parental sort of way as someone who's never yeah. been a parent, but who is having feelings that he may not even identify as parental, but at least I was definitely projecting that on him. I'm yeah. like, dude, you're having dad feelings. You, maybe you don't know that because your life experience is not mine. As someone who's been a dad for like 20-some years, you don't understand. You're being a father. What you're feeling is a fatherly feeling. And what Matilda's feeling is something else. And again, even that is like questionable. But the presentation of it to an audience mm-hmm. is prickly. It's just prickly. Again, and I thought about this a lot because I felt uncomfortable at certain points in the film. Yes. About this no, I, relationship I that they're having. Because I'm like, okay, there's this little girl with this creepy older dude and they're just staying in hotels together. That's weird. And it's like, is this going to go weird? And it never does. Not even a hint of it. In fact, the very first scene, going back to the beginning of the film, after all of this nonsense where she's upset he gets a little, um, what do you call it? An oven mitt that's shaped like a pig. Oh, yes. And he uses it to entertain her. And he makes a little joke. And it's so humanizing for the character too. And he just tries to make her laugh. And there's a scene later where she is falling asleep, holding on to this oven mitt that's shaped like a pig, which they call Piggy. And it's beautiful. Um, And that was just him like being nurturing even though that's not what he does as in life. So it is prickly. It is weird. There are parts of it that are just kind of creepy a little bit. But I think the one thing the film did very well, and I have to grant them, thank you for deleting those 20-some minutes, is that the story continues to be Leon is genuinely just taking care of this child regardless of whatever the child is going through. She's going through her own thing, but he is just taking care of her, making sure she's okay. You have watched this film several times. A few times, yes. A few yeah. times. Okay. I have watched this film once, ever. Um, where do we land on this film? Does this film hold up? Yes. It does. And I, I say that without hesitation, I think. And... Yeah, no, no caveats. I, I think it is very well executed. Um, agree or disagree on Gary Oldman's performance, but uh, because... Comment and let us know how much you yeah. agree with me or disagree, <laughs> or how much you agree with Steve or disagree. <laughs> but yeah. yes, no, I, I think this this holds up very well. It was uh, it was just as good this time rewatching it as it was the first time that I watched it all those years ago. Mm-hmm. Um. One of the things that I found interesting, having stopped and thought about it um, in preparation for this, is just how much Luc Besson toys with your emotions. You you kind of alluded a little bit to it earlier, where you mentioned that he throws in moments of comedy where you least expect them. There was a part during the the murder sequence when Gary Oldman is wearing through the apartment with a shotgun 
that I laughed out loud for just a second. And it is the part where his henchmen are huddled at the end of the hallway. They're not entirely sure what's going on. They're like visibly shaking. And Oldman bursts out a door, crosses the hallway and bursts, you know, exits through another door. And all of the henchmen go, ah! So I'm horrified. I have a quick giggle. And then I go back to being horrified again. And Basson does this a couple of times, especially, um, again, with the, the, the ending sequence with Leon and Stansfield, how you are put in a position where you want to feel sadness, loss, at, uh, spoiler alert, sorry, the, the death of Leon. And then I timed it. It is like nine and a half seconds later before there is this gigantic explosion out the side of the building. You're not given time to feel one way or the other. Basson is just like, you will feel this now, you will feel this, now you'll feel here. It, did, did you find that as well, or am I just totally off the mark? <laughs> no, I think he's everything is timed very precisely. Um, yeah, yeah. I think they want us... I don't think he wanted us to linger... Mm. on Leon's death um, because uh, shortly after it has the redemption moment and I thought that was great actually because I was like oh gosh we're going to see the, the main character like mm. but how they did it I, again that that bit creative as could be I loved that yes. that was a great fulfilling end as an audience member I was like yes that is how that ends that is how that conflict ends and I loved it um, and it gave us closure with Matilda as well. I thought it wrapped up really well. You know, it some did. films that, you know, you think, oh, it's a French director. He's probably going to leave us with a sad clown eating a pie, you know, and we're going to be like, what happened? I don't understand. And that was not the case. There was a definite beginning, middle, and end yep. with a resolution at the end for us. It was handed to us. And I was like, yeah, I dig that. I liked how the movie ended. I liked it. I, I I appreciated it. It seemed to fit just perfectly right. This film did very well, uh, both in France and it had a good international following as well. It was nominated for seven César Awards. The Césars being, and I, I do hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, if I'm not French audience... Um, pardon. Pardon. Yeah. <laughs> I am terribly sorry. Uh, but these are the, the equivalent of the Oscars, but in France. Ooh. It was nominated for Best Film, Actor, Director, Cinematography, Sound, Editing, and Music. Sadly, it did not win any of them. <laughs> but it was nominated for seven awards. Yes. And as we kind of like sticking numbers on things, it was made for a budget of $16 million and managed to gross $45 million. And was enough for the studios to go, oh, okay, you've done pretty well for a third time. That sci-fi epic you're interested in. Let's talk. And going back briefly to Gary Oldman, I could not help but laugh when I realized that they were both Luc Besson. One came right after the other. Gary Oldman's playing the bad guy, and the bad guy meets the same end in which he looks up, realizes he's standing next to explosives, says one line, and then boom. <laughs> Kaboom. Kaboom. <laughs> You're absolutely right. That's hilarious. That is I good. I love that. That is good. All right. All right. You know what? Okay, folks. So here's what we're going to do. 
podcast okay. listeners, we have a YouTube channel now uh, where you can see our glorious <clears throat> non-Ryan Gosling faces while we do this kind of interview. Or to say, if you, uh, if you like the sound of our melodious voices and wonder what we look like, go ahead and check us out. Um, and then once you have said to yourself, oh, he sounds nothing like his voice does, or he looks nothing like his voice sounds, yeah. uh, you can go back to listening to the, back to the podcast. Go back to the podcast. It's fine. Yeah. Now, I or don't if you believe... don't want to ruin the image of us, then stay where you are. Ignore the, the, ignore the YouTube channel. Uh, you can catch this film on Netflix. It's actually free if you have a Netflix subscription. So go check it out. Tell us what you think in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. Um, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching, if you're watching. And either way, thank you. And again, Gary Oldman, you decide. See you next time. Sit back, it's time to get groovy. Question, do you remember that movie? 